Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Hairnet. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, verse 20 and following. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And I think we've gone over this some a little bit in the past sometime, but it takes some kind of nerve. I mean, either she's prayed and just didn't get through, or I don't know what this woman was thinking. But she takes two brothers, two of Jesus' disciples, his followers, goes to him with her son, saying, boys, now come on, we're going. And she kneels down in front of Jesus and asks something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. I want my boys on either side of you. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we're able. You betcha. Whatever you're doing, we can do. He's about to be nailed to a cross. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. What the heck are you thinking? Who do you think you are? Like he's going to pick you over us or, you know, this agitation kicks in. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. In other words, dictate and control and give orders and commands. But yet it shall not be so among you. I will not have it. This isn't about me or anybody else controlling someone else or lording it over someone and saying, I'm an authority. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. You want to be somebody, be a servant. You want to be great, be a servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Now, let me tell you what I think this boils down to a little bit. In a church specifically, when your pronoun changes, when your pronouns change, your life should change in regard to a church. I have a lot of people will say, you know, I visited your church or in the conversation, say, well, their church is really interesting, and I really like that church. And all of a sudden, after coming for a while at a certain moment, you'll hear them, and they don't even know they're doing it. They'll say, our church is doing this. My church is involved with this. I'd like you to come to my church or our church. When that happens to you, you've got to figure out that you are no longer on the being served side of the line. You need to go behind the counter, put your hairnet on, and go to work. If it is your church, then why are you on the other side of the line saying, serve me, serve me? Now, I'll tell you why I think it's possible. It reflects a certain level of maturity. 
Because there is a time and a place for small children in the home to say, you know, feed me, feed me, feed me, and it's bottles and diapers, and that's just appropriate. But at some point, as you grow up in a family, you say, you know what? This is my job. This is my church. It is my responsibility. God has gifted me and placed me here, and I feel like I'm a part. I'm going to get involved. There's a great joy in just serving, and it may not be in a visible place. Maybe after everybody's long and gone, you're doing your thing. And it may not even be on a Sunday. It may be during the week someplace. But there is a time to serve. And Jesus again says here, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You want to follow Jesus sooner or later, you're going to be in a serving mode, not a be served mode. It may be okay for a while up front, but if you're growing up, you're going to be in a serving mode. Go to Luke chapter 22, a few pages to the right. Luke 22, look at verse 24 and following. Similar account of this story. And just to give you Luke's perspective on it, says, Now there was also a dispute among them, 22-24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Now here's a different way Luke looks at it, and here's what Jesus says. Who is greater, the person sitting at the nice table having dinner or the person serving the person at dinner? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. I'm not sitting at the table. I'm here to serve you. And the word used here for serve is where we get our word slave or deacon even. And we'll go to that in a little bit. But it means to be an attendant. That is wait upon menially or as a host, friend, or figuratively a teacher. Technically to act as a Christian deacon, minister, serve, use the office of a deacon. This isn't about being a big shot. This is about saying, I'll do what I got to do. If you say, I got to wear a hairnet and look as goofy as anybody on the planet, if that's what the law requires and you say, I got a job, this is my spot, and I'll do my job. And if you look at a place like Luby's or a cafeteria that's run properly, everybody's got their station, and they run people through that line because they're efficient. There's management, and there are people who are really making it all happen. You never see. They're in a hot kitchen, slaving, cooking, bringing the food out. If you are breathing and the Spirit of God lives in you and through you, you have been made to do something. And there is great joy and satisfaction in that. Let me read you some quotes, a Bulgarian proverb. If you cannot serve, you cannot rule. Albert Einstein said, The high destiny of the individual is to serve rather than to rule. Arthur Ashe said, True heroism is remarkably sober, very undramatic. It is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. Albert Schweitzer said, The purpose of human life is to serve and to show compassion and the will to help others. William Arthur Ward said, We must be silent before we can listen. We must listen before we can learn. We must learn before we can prepare. We must prepare before we can serve. And we must serve before we can lead. And Martin Luther King said, everyone can be great because anyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't even have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Jesus was the ultimate leader and he was a servant leader. He was not looking for a position. He had the position, but he humbled himself, took on the form of a man, a servant. 
and came and lived among us and served us. Now let me go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll go over there with me a minute. Serving is such a big deal that there is even an office in the church that is defined by the word servant, by the word diakonos. And there are elders in a church, we have those, there are deacons in a church, we're working on putting those in place. And I want you to look at what a deacon looks like, what a servant looks like. 1 Timothy 3, 8 and following. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things." Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And again, this word here he uses for deacon is an attendant. It's from an obsolete word that means to run on errands, a waiter, menial duties, could be deacon or deaconess. The word is used either ways with Phoebe. The term deaconess in the feminine sense is used there. This is literally a position in a church, and they are people who are so obviously servants that you say, we're going to make you a servant. We're going to call you a deacon, a deaconess, whatever it is, and give you that title. We cannot do what God left us here to do as a church without men and women serving. My deal is not about lording it over anybody. God, if nobody's figured that out by now. This is about serving, and it's about getting it right. Faith without works, James says, is dead. At some point, you've got to do something. You don't do what you do to get God to love you and to get into a relationship with Him. You do it because it's proof that you are in a relationship with Him. If you love your wife so much, your husband so much, this person in your life you love so much, it's going to cause you to take some action. You're going to make sacrifices. You're going to do whatever it takes to say to them, you're important. I am here to serve you. Go to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to make a distinction here that I think is a little touchy for some people and make some people, I'm going where the gospel goes and you're just going to have to please hear me out. If you're a Christian, this is going to make perfect sense. If you're not a Christian, this may rock you a little bit, so please hang in there. There is a difference in being a do-gooder, a good deeder, someone out there who just does things and doing what you do and serving humanity and a community just because you feel compelled to serve and you're a good person, or doing it in Jesus' name. And the difference in a Christian community is when we do something, we do it that our light may so shine that men may see our good works, as we talked about last week, and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We do it in Jesus' name. You stop like somebody shared at a stoplight, and you get out, and you take them something to eat, and they're hungry, and they're devouring the food. You better throw Jesus' name in there somewhere, or you're going to get the glory, and it's all a waste except for what happens to that person. Give God the glory, and the way to do that is in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. 
But what I do have, I give to you. And then look at how he phrases this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He didn't say rise up and walk. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. It was not to draw attention to the disciples, to the apostles. It was to draw attention to God. And they did it in Jesus' name. Now jump over to Acts chapter 4. This creates a huge stink. The religious leaders are jealous, angry. Verse 7 of chapter 4, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Whose power, whose name are you doing this in? They had gone in somebody's name, and that was recognized by these rulers, these leaders. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, if the issue is we've done a good deed for a helpless man, you think, well, that ought to be awesome. By what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. We didn't do anything except speak the name. The problem with church and religious organizations is that they can sometimes move away from the gospel, from Jesus, and they get, well, we're uncomfortable saying this, and let's just go help some people. If you're going to go help them in Jesus' name, then do it in Jesus' name. And when you hand them a glass of water, you say, you know what, this may sound a little different to you or whatever, but I need you to know I'm giving you this glass of water in Jesus' name. I'm giving you this five bucks in Jesus' name. Do you see the difference? I don't want you thanking me. I don't want to draw attention to me. I wouldn't give a rip about you. You say, yeah, but maybe you might. And that is the difference. There are people in the world who are more conscientious socially and move to do things and change the world who are atheists even, but they're nicer and they do more acts of service than Christians. The difference is sometimes they think if they believe there's a God, if I do these good acts, God is going to look at me and my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. And when the judgment day comes, all the sack lunches and all the poor people I fed, God's going to go, wow, you're such a great person. Come on in. You know what? Nobody gets in over being good. They get in by the grace of God and the grace of God only. And you read on down in Acts chapter 4. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. You say, well, I'm uneducated, I'm untrained, but I've been with Jesus. And that makes the difference. See, the educated world may criticize you because you're not eloquent, you're not educated. You say, well, I'm eloquent and educated. Have you been with Jesus? And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, and look at what they're going to tell them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Stop using the name! We can't stop you from talking to people, but we don't want you speaking to anybody else using Jesus' name. Stop it. 
So they called the men and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. You pull the name, you got nothing except a nice person. That's going to take some boldness. And it's going to take some humility because you're not going to be able to focus on you and hand somebody and they go, oh, thank you, sir. And you're such a wonderful person. You say, you know what? I'm doing this in Jesus name. I'm doing it because my life has been changed and to God be the glory and he can change your life. Go to Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17. Look what Paul says to this church. And whatever you do in word or deed, whether you're speaking or just doing, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now that covers everything. Everything you say, everything you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let me read you a song. Some of you know who Bob Dylan is. And I can't sing it. He can barely sing, but here it is. You got to serve somebody. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, woman in a cage, You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor. They may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Might like to wear cotton, might like to wear silk, might like to drink whiskey, might like to drink milk. You might like to eat caviar. You might like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-size bed. You may call me Terry, you may call me Timmy, you may call me Bobby, you may call me Zimmy, you may call me RJ, you may call me Ray, you may call me anything, but no matter what you say, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Turn to John chapter 13. And I think John chapter 13 houses one of the most amazing pictures of this where if there was any question about who Jesus was or what mattered, he settled this. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this is down to the last hours of his life. Wouldn't it make sense that they ought to be serving Jesus at this point, taking care of him, he's about to die for him? And supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, strips down, takes a towel, wraps it around himself, and assumes the attire and the position of a slave of a servant with his disciples, his last act after this Passover meal 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head wash all of me. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Now look what he says to him after he does something. He says this, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. All these conversations we start out with, mom bringing two boys, saying who's going to sit where. He says, you know what? I'm the teacher. I'm the Lord. That's what you call me. If I've washed your feet, you got to start washing each other's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You want to be blessed? Do what Jesus did. You want to be somebody? Be a servant. You want a position? Wrap yourself up in a towel and let's start washing feet. That's a good position. Get down on your knees at somebody's feet and serve them. You say, well, I want to be somebody. Let me tell you something. If you spend the rest of your life trying to be somebody without learning how to be a servant like Jesus left us here to be, you'll end up nobody. We started out in Matthew 20, 26, that whole passage in there. Let me read it to you again. Verse 26 and following says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then what? And to give his life a ransom for many. He came to live, to serve, and to die. And if you're going to follow him, you're going to have to deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow him. And it's going to be a life of sacrifice and service, not waiting for somebody to take care of you. It is our job as we mature and grow to get in a place to take care of somebody else. You say, well, I want like a a good position. There is no bad position in the kingdom of God. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest, real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. I've told people this before. Have you ever been to a nice hotel? The most important person in the entire hotel, in my opinion, is the man who opens your door or the woman who opens your door when you get out of the car. How are you today, sir? We are so glad you came to our hotel. We hope you have a great stay. You're excited. You're going to get a break. You're on vacation. And you know what? The great hotels of the world 
are great because of what? Service. Do you know what the hospitality industry is? The word hospitality comes from two Greek words that mean this. Lover of strangers. You got the gift of hospitality? You're a lover of strangers. Somebody pulls up you don't even know. We are so glad you're here. We're here to take care of you, to meet your every need. Now, when people come into a church and they're beat up, it's like triage. They've been in the battlefield of life. Things are messed up. It's going to take a while. It is our place as mature believers, if that's what you are, to get in a position to serve them, to take care of them, and get them to a place where they get their own hairnet and come around the back of the line and get their place in the deal with their cart or whatever their deal is and discover the great joy that Jesus left us in not waiting to always be served, but to serve. And ultimately, what this is all about is that he came to give his life a ransom for many, to pay our ransom, to buy us back from the enemy who had taken us captive. And with his own blood, he paid the ransom, died on that cross, was buried and raised from the dead. And because of that, we have access to eternal life forever with God, but abundant life between here and heaven. I encourage you to grab a hairnet and wear it every day. Of course, not literally or anything like that, unless that's what it takes. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.